You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Collective Cafe, a virtual coffee experience which takes place every single Monday through Friday, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in both Alpha Collective's Discord, that's discord.gg forward slash alpha collective and startup clubs house in clubhouse it's free it always will be free there are no strings attached there is no bait and switch lurk or listen only chat with one another in our back chat or even come onto stage the coffee shop is open for business whether you're on the treadmill getting the kids ready for school getting yourself ready for work commuting into the big bad city or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom to your home office on monday we manifest on tuesday we talk thought leadership on wellness wednesday we discuss mental health wellness and life skills on thursday we do live book reads and discussions with the author and then on friday it's no agenda friday where there is no agenda Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the Collective Cafe, where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another at the business of Web3 or anything else that intersects, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption, entrepreneurship, or coaching. So give us a subscribe, bit.ly forward slash Collective Cafe to go, or a review on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening on demand or of course join us every day live it is addictive and remember it is a safe welcoming space and you will never ever be put on the spot this is alpha collectives collective cafe my name is joseph jaffe Good morning, good morning, everyone, all 1,000 of you in our Discord this morning, just hanging out, nice and intimate. It is uh, October 9th, 8.02 a.m., um, the world is, the world is crazy. The world is uh, in turmoil at the moment, and yeah, what are we going to do? Um, I mean, this this notion of hope, positivity, and optimism in a time of despair um, is something that, you know, I actually didn't call it that initially, I just called it hope, positivity, and optimism, and then... And then Kevin O'Brien, I guess he heard hope, positivity, and optimism in a time of despair. Um, he just wrote the forward to my book, and um, you know, and but it's true. I mean, this is a this is a time, this is a time of despair. This is a tough time, 
it's a it's a time when kind of like it just seems, as they say in the classics, you know, the the hits just keep on coming, um, and we have to decide how we deal with it. Um, and it's not easy. I want to send a little photo, do a little selfie for you today. I am going to post a little little sneak peek for those of you that are in our Discord. Do not say or tell anyone anything at the moment, but I do want you to see something that is quite special. So uh, I'm posting it now in our cafe chat. Actually, two things. So... Have a look at that one. Um, pretty amazing. I got copies on this weekend. And uh, you can find it on Amazon, believe it or not. Um, I actually worked really hard this weekend to uh, create the website, um, which is foreverchanged.life. It is live, up and running. Actually, everything's up and running. So, you know, the, the Kindle version, the paperback version, there should be a, paper, uh, a hardcover version soon. Um, but I'm kind of slow releasing it, slow rolling it, if you will. Um, just because it kind of happened, it kind of, you know, almost, I, I don't want to say it caught me by surprise because the idea was always to have copies of the new book in time for me to go to South Africa. And, um, you know, I ended up getting them unbelievably October 8th delivered when I'm only leaving to South Africa on the 27th. Uh, but yeah, I'm so proud of this book, so proud of this book, and um, probably going to start uh, one more live read um, just so that I can actually have a final version that, that I can use for the audio book. So kind of excited about that. I mean, I've done it twice, but I felt like, you know, I, I want to make sure that I have the final version of it, you know, without... Um, I don't mind if there are a few mistakes, honestly. I really don't mind if there are a few mistakes um, in the actual recording, but I'll try and I'll try and create um, a a much better version of it. So you know what I'll do is I'll just do timestamps, and uh, every time there's a little distraction, I'll, I'll go back and maybe do a little kind of edit uh, if I can. And I think I should be able to. There's a piece of software I used to be able to use. I don't know if it's still around, um, but certainly, um, you know, I could probably even, I could probably even do it in iMovie these days and just focus on the um, the audio track. So yeah, I'll play around with a few things. Um, I wanted to today. I, I kind of wanted to go back to basics in many respects. And uh, good morning, Praxim. Um, and you know, on a Monday we used to call it manifestation and motivational Monday and I would look at my calendar and I'm going to do that again and just say like you know this is what I want and hope for for the week you know obviously um, you know the events transpiring in the world at the moment certainly in Israel are just uh, devastating you know this is you know as as a Jew myself and you know my I have family in Israel it's just too devastating for words um, I think that, um, you know, without, without being, I mean, I have no problem being political in this particular case, um, because as a student of history, 
um, I, you know, I, I've studied, you know, I've studied, I've seen what happened during the Holocaust and World War II. Um, and I also, you know, I keep reminding people that uh, when last I checked, there is, you know, a rather old book known as the Old Testament. Um, and, uh, and there is some, also some historical accounts of, of uh, you know, invasions and temples and, you know, <laughs> of, of the land. I mean, it's, but the bottom line is it's the sanctity of human life um, that has just been absolutely desecrated and decimated. And I just saw some videos this weekend that uh, I, wish, I wish I could unsee. They're just awful, awful videos, just awful. And um, and I think we have to accept the fact that that this is the world we live in. Um, can we change it? Can we can we make the world better? I think we can try. I don't think we can ever give up. I don't think we can ever believe that our that we don't have power of one of an individual that we can make a difference as an individual. Uh, but I think sometimes it does feel like the odds are overwhelmingly against us. Whether you know whether that's as an entrepreneur, whether that's as a citizen, um, it's, whether that's at a, as a father for me or a parent or a, you know, a, a spouse, sometimes it just, it just feels like too much. And, um, but it's never an excuse to give up. Just because we see sometimes amidst and in the face of such um, just barbarism and and just you know almost the essence of evil we see people that still somehow manage to find hope positivity and optimism and i think um i think the message is you know when you when you think when you feel like it's time to throw in the towel when you feel like it's time to give up um look to look to your left and look to your right because there's always someone that is going through a tougher time than you that is that needs your help um and there's also someone maybe going through a tougher time than you that can help you so there's hardship either way you know pain change happens when the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing right there's pain either way and I think sometimes when we actually look to our left and our right and we realize there is someone going through pain who is weaker than you and there's someone going through pain who is stronger than you. And just like we can be helped by that other person who is showing us what, what we are capable of, what is possible, potential, there is someone that isn't able to find that same strength and they need us. Ultimately, we are all links in this elaborate chain that is called the human race. And right now, those chains are weak. Those chains are breaking. Those chains are under strain. Those chains are being tested to determine who will stand and who will fall, who will step up, and who will back down, who will be vocal, and who will remain silent on the sidelines. 
Never liked silent sidelines when I was a coach or parent. Hated it. Never was very good at being able to keep quiet. But this is the world we live in. And um, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we get so complacent and indulged, entitled. That was a word that came up a lot. Did two amazing recordings last week with Scott McCain and Jay Bear, two giants in the kind of marketing, keynote speaking, customer service um, rounds or, or uh, what do you call it, the the circuit, yeah. Giants, absolute giants, Hall of Fame speakers actually. We discussed things like time rage, instead of road rage or plane rage, uh, time rage. We... Um, we also discussed, um, there were just some interesting elements that I jotted down. And uh, I think you'll see, I think you'll, you'll see them when, when they come out. Can't wait to, to, to share them with you. I'm just going to see a couple of things that, um, that I can share with you. I'll just run through the the two show notes. Um, Jay Bear, we were talking about um, strategic speed, speed with purpose, the concept of the right now, respond without answers. Um, just this idea of how important it is to move quickly. And then, you know, with Scott McCain, we're talking about we have to get people to care. Uh, Right from the heart, speak from your skill. Um, You know, this pushback on the idea of it's not not personal, it's business. Scott was like, it is personal. It's our lives. It is personal. Of course it's personal. Um, It's always personal. Um, We spoke about the fact that, you know, Maybe one of the issues with customer service at the moment is the fact that, you know, Gen Z, millennials, but Gen Z, they haven't been taught the basics. They haven't been taught the essence of even customer service, the basics of customer service. And uh, we spoke about how generally, you know, people that are studying this generation, um, that the overwhelming word that comes up is the word entitled. This is the entire the entitled generation. So that may be so, and it probably is, but it's actually up to us. It's up to us to provide the the teaching and the training and the wisdom and the the mentoring, the guidance to help them understand the basics. What we have here is a failure to communicate. You know, in this high-tech world, we need to get to high touch. All of these things we discussed, this was with uh, Scott McCain. And it's up to us now. It's up to us to be able to pass the baton and teach. It's all very well that they're entitled, but who entitled them? We probably did. Actually, something else that I posted in the cafe chat was... um, Found this in, where's the link? I'll share it with you now. Yeah, I'm going to share it right now. 
So I think this is the, um, I believe it is the Belgian parliament. Yeah, I believe it's the Belgian parliament. And um, I'll tell you the exact, you can see the link as well. I think I've got this from Mr. Brian Solis. I find him to be a very great source of intelligence, which must mean that he's probably a great source of intelligence himself, um, as opposed to just the things that he shares. Um, but um, maybe I didn't find No, I definitely found it from him. Um, and now I'm looking at all his posts, and I'm trying to... Um, I'm trying to see exactly, I guess he posts a lot of things. Here it is, wow, he posts a lot of things. So this is from the Flemish government, which I assume is Belgium, because, you know, because the two languages they speak, I didn't realize yet, but it says the Flemish gov- government in Belgium. And they they apply AI to track how much time distracted politicians spend on their phones. So the image that you see, and then they, they post this video on Twitter and Instagram, um, tagging, you know, the politician. So it's unbelievable, the numbers. I, I think, you know, I think there are a few things to talk about here. Um, I think one of them is this idea of, um, you know, it is using technology to point out uh, it's using technology in an innovative, creative way. Um, also to point out and make a very, you know, this is this is a beautiful example of creativity, but also following a strategic brief, if you will, right? What's, the, what's you know, what's happening here? We're, we, we are demonstrating um, distracted politicians, um, and the point is clearly, um, you know, which is we need you to do a better job for us. We need you to advocate better for us. We need you to focus on doing what you were elected to do. And being on your phone is probably um, not that. So, you know, distraction itself may not even have been the, I mean, that ended up being the, the, an expression of the idea. But really the essence of it, the, the, the root of this and why this resonates so strongly um, is this perhaps this dissatisfaction with our politicians. <clears throat> you know, today we see all the Republican hopefuls, not today, today, yesterday, you know, Saturday on the the speaker circuit on the talk show, the you know the the meet the press and the face the nation and the you know state of the union, and they're all politicking, um, and they're all basically, um, you know, saying either what we need to hear or want to hear. But the question is, how genuine is it? I mean, that's always the question. Um, regardless of whether, you know, they're saying the right things, certainly. But we need to know that, you know, when the, when the chips are down, that people are working for us. That people are, 
you know, and it doesn't have to just be our elected politicians. It can be our teachers, our government, uh, you know, our police. It, it, quite frankly, sometimes it could be even our family. Are you advocating for us? Do you have our back? Are you out there? Do you really care about us? Will you do what it takes to, to, to be there for us when we need you? That's the message here. And so when you see, you know, in this case, the Flemish elected officials on their phone the whole time, what message does that send out? That they care, that they're focused, that they're on the job, or that they couldn't care less? I will say that in fairness, it's possible that when they're on their phone, they're not just playing Wordle or Bejeweled or, you know, one of those games, that they're actually talking with, you know, constituents or aides or, you know, multitasking or asking specific questions or getting research. Maybe maybe they're even on ChatGPT as far as we know, doing fact-checking or whatever the case may be, but chances are they're not. Chances are they're just bored and they're just showing up because they have to be there. It sends a strong message. And so this idea, this which is, I guess it's a very visual, uh, very unambiguous deterrent, right? Get off your phones, the public shaming, you know, this idea of being able to call them out, saying, "Wait a second, um, let's look at let's look at one of them. Let's pick out one of them um, at who's one of the uh, at W B E W Becky um, on his phone eighty five point five percent of his of the time." I don't know what the uh, what the white is. I've got to see what the white is. There's a white number, uh, and then there's um, and then there's like a, a green uh, number. So it says um, what percentage, I guess, of time they're on their phone. So at bot somers, b a r t s o m e r s, eighty one point two percent phone, fifty one point nine percent him, which I guess maybe is is to to work out how how distracted he is, I guess. Um, it's very interesting. I mean, it's super super interesting in this case um, to be able to say, "Be present." I mean, I could take this in two directions today, right? I could talk about being present versus showing up, but not actually showing up. You're there in body, but you're not necessarily there in spirit. And I think the uh, the lesser point, the lesser point, which is which is worth saying anyway, is sometimes these visual cues can be very very powerful. This is the um, uh, the example, and there's a great creative expression of what I'm about to say. But you know, when you're driving specifically in a town, um, you know the back roads, and police or, or you know the local police put up these um, these um, visual depictions of your speed so it's kind of like a little radar and it's portable thing and they just leave it there and and what happens is you're driving and and you see your speed you know the um if the speed limit's 25 um 
and you're doing 30 or 35, it starts flashing, it goes red. They're all different cues to indicate what the speed is. You know, the flashing, the alert, the alarm, the whatever the case may be. And it's a very visual deterrent. It's basically saying you're speeding, you see it, and chances are in that situation you're going to slow down. Chances are you're going to slow down because you're being aware, you're being made, uh, you're being made um, um, aware. And because of that, you know, there, there is this ability to self-regulate or self-control. Now, the other example I was going to talk about is um, actually found, um, I think it was, I want to say it was somewhere, maybe it was in Belgium as well, or Luxembourg. It was, I feel like, or it was somewhere European, that instead of shaming people, by the way, in this particular case, um, instead of actually the, um, you know, the, the flashing sirens, by the way, some of them have um, a red and a blue light that flashes if you are over, a, over the speed limit, which obviously, you know, mimics a cop, uh, you know, pulling you over. That works very well too. Um, but what this one did was this campaign was they, um, they, um, basically put little emojis, smiley faces, and, um, um, and it, it actually, um, it actually was unbelievably, um, successful, unbelievably successful by actually just having little emojis, you know, angry emoji, um, you know, sad emoji, um, you know, normal emoji, smiling emoji, ecstatic emoji. So by actually like, you know, whether it was, I guess, humor to a degree or just visual or just a little softer approach, instead of the heavy hand, instead of the shaming, they found dramatic reductions in speed. Because what they were actually doing is saying, well done. Well done for actually like driving safely and under the speed limit. So that's just another approach, right? Instead of calling out and chastising and shaming the offenders, what they were doing is really just lauding and complimenting and um, celebrating the people that actually were towing the line or at least being responsible, which... um, and I'm not saying I know which one is better. Which one are you more likely to respond to? Do you want to be more like the? Do you want to be more like the um, the law abiding? Do you, do you want the? Do you want the emoji? Do you want the heart? Do you want the flowers? Do you want the accolade? Um, a lot of people. I would. I want to know, like, hey, I want to get a smiley face. Oh, I missed the smiley face today. I want the hearts as opposed to bad Joseph, you're going to get a fine next time, or you're lucky you didn't get a fine this time, or, you know, you're a bad person. So, um, in this case, this Belgian-Flemish example, um, there's a lot of, you know, it's absolutely calling out and shaming the politicians. And I'm not sympathizing. I'm not being a sympathizer. I'm saying, listen, get off your phones. You know, one of the things that's in my book was, hashtag, I was just which I think if you, you know, if you were listening to the live read, you would have remembered that part. 
we've always got an excuse. Hey, get off your phone. I was just checking the scores. I was just checking if my friend, I was just looking at the weather. I was just um, seeing if, if an email came in. Well, no, don't need it. I keep going back to this idea of how on earth did we survive and did we cope without phones? How do we do it? I mean, cell phones, I mean. How did we do it? Seems impossible. And yet, I mean, how long have we actually had phones? 30, 35, well, it's a long time now. I'm getting old. But just saying 30 years makes me feel like really old suddenly. Holy moly. I mean, I, I know that, yeah, probably... Probably round about, I want to say, like 19, for me in South Africa, maybe like 1990, let's say 1993. So, yeah, that's 30 years. But before that, what did we do when I was growing up, when I went to a friend, um, when I went to school? How did I, you know, in real time, I wasn't contactable by my mom or I didn't, wasn't able to contact her. If I really needed to use the phone, I would go to the office in the school and I need to call my mom and hopefully she was at, you know, at her shop, at her coin shop. And remember, before that, we didn't even have this thing called leaving a voice message. How did we cope? How did we survive? How healthy would it be, I feel, today, you know, for my son to go to school? and for him not to be able to contact us until he got home. How brilliant would that be for him and for us? Prexim says, no longer a phone, it's the pocket internet and everything that comes with it, good and bad. Yeah, I mean, we still call it a phone, I suppose, the iPhone. It's not the i-internet or the i-computer or the iMini Mac. Um, I suppose we could call it, to your point, the iMac. It wouldn't be i anymore. It would be the MMac or something. But yeah, I mean, in this particular case, I think I love this example of technology. You know, showing these politicians that, uh, you know, be present. But I think what it also does is it challenges all of us to be better. You know, one of the things I said in this book is, you know, I continue to push back stronger than I've ever pushed back on all these mofo companies insisting that their employees come back to work and have to work in person. And my message to them is a very simple one. Until you can fix both the absolute inefficiency and friction of the commute for the most part and the resulting workplace experience, As far as I'm concerned, you can go and f*** yourself. <laughs> Just to put it quite, see, Rhonda, I use the, uh, the bleeper. 
because I know you don't like the cuss words. But let's talk about that, right? The commute. The, the inefficient commute. And when I talk about the inefficient commute, there is a cost-benefit analysis associated. You know, the, the lower you are, the more um, junior you are, um, the, uh, you know, the less advantaged you are, the less privileged you are, chances are the longer your commute. And it actually works on either end, right? Because you could be like, imagine you're in Manhattan. You know, you've got someone who's commuting two, three hours from, you know, whether it's from Bridgeport, Connecticut into Manhattan <clears throat> or, some, or, you know, Staten Island or whatever, or New Jersey, they're commuting into the city. And it can be like sometimes combined maybe four hours door to door, you know, both going and coming back from work. Four hours. Four hours. And then, of course, you've got, you know, the CEO earning their $100 million bonus living in Greenwich, Connecticut or New Canaan, you know, that, uh, that absolutely they're also commuting, but they've got their driver service or, you know, whatever the case may be. I mean, so anyway, let's just discount them for a second. Let's not cry them a river. My point of view is we should figure out a way to compensate people for their time and their commute. Let's start off with that. That means paying them more, the long there should be a multiplier associated with your salary that gives you more based on how long it takes you to get to work. I'm not saying, you know, there are I'm sure a thousand caveats, but there's an idea. Two people doing the same job. One of them lives, you know, half a block away from the office and the other one lives two and a half hours. The person that lives two and a half hours should get more money. They should be compensated for, for this sacrifice. In addition, and I'm just, you know, spitballing here, but I, I kind of like where this is heading. They shouldn't have to come to work at nine in the morning. Instead of 9 to 5, if there's a four-hour commute, they should come to work from 11 to 3. How about that? How about them apples? Our commute should be built into the work week. Takes me two hours to get to work? Great. I'll, come, I'll be at work at 11. Praxim says, what are you incentivizing with higher pay for a longer commute? Yes, I am. I'm basically putting out there that if you want me to come to work and show up, but, and Praxim, obviously, we're talking about certain, you know, income brackets or certain, you know, positions in the company. You know, let's just, let's just for, for all intents and purposes, say that, that this is below director level, right? So director, VP, SVP, EVP, PPB, ZBB, whatever, you know, all the way up is one category. But anyone who's not a director level and or below a certain income in terms of salary and or below a certain position, I think maybe we should think about it. Let me put it this way. Let me, let me flip it on its head for you. If I was trying to differentiate myself, perhaps that's what I would do. 
I would say if your commute is longer than one hour into the office, and it's very easy to figure that out, by the way, because there's this new uh, amazing innovation called Google Maps, always, or whatever, there'd be, maybe we offer a choice, 10% increase in salary or 10% decrease in time at the office. Praxim says, example, if you are a staff person below director level and live two hours away, you just won't get hired. You, you just won't get hired anymore to reduce this extra cost. Maybe, maybe not. Who is going to be hired then? Because it's generally going to transpire that someone who comes in at that level, at that salary for that job is not going to be living in a brownstone or a mansion, you know, very close by or in Greenwich or whatever the case may be. Rhonda says, I understand both sides of that, but wouldn't that encourage an attitude of entitlement? I mean, maybe. Everyone's always going to take advantage. But I kind of feel like that's where it's heading right now. What have you done for me lately? the war for talent. I mean, listen, we could go, I'm just trying to basically say that at the end of the day, like it's time that we actually step up and recognize a situation and try and fix it with technology, without technology. um, You know, instead of just accepting the way things are, we survived without phones. So I suppose we survived we su- we survived before covid too. In some cases our lives are better off the concept of the phone being the mobile internet. Yeah, I mean we can do some amazing things. But in other cases we're worse off. Look, the second point I wanted to make was what I call the work experience. Now Yeah, we know that some companies have experimented. There's like daycare and some say you can bring your dogs to work and, you know, and others, especially during the whole dot-com, you know, period of time, Silicon Valley, the beanbags, the sleep pods, the, you know, the cafeterias with free food, you know, and even in a more corporate sense, the concept of, you know, Casual Fridays, the concept of casual Fridays. Wear jeans on a Friday, woohoo, big whoop. Or a ping pong table. So we've tried to kind of, you know, make the best of a bad situation. But what I talk about a lot in in the book multiple times is the concept of this cube form. We put people in this maze of cubes like, uh, like, like rats, like little guinea pigs. The workplace experience does not, uh, is not commensurate with the sacrifice and the opportunity cost of getting there. That's about as succinct as I can make it. Until we create a work experience or workplace experience that is equal to or greater than the sacrifice, the opportunity cost, the time lost, and even the expense of that commute, we're going to continue to see people 
leaving companies or the talent war being lost or attrition or, quite frankly, distracted employing. Distracted, imp- distracted working. Look, what I'm alluding to is when we, if we want to come full circle, when we look at these politicians, these entitled, by the way, talk about entitled, these politicians, you know, not taking seriously or, you know, or not appreciating the tremendous responsibility, the accountability, the, the you know, of being an elected official on their phones the whole time, bored out of their minds. Well, how, how engaged are our employees? Hey, what would happen if this technology, by the way, you know, uh, I'll, um, I'm going to push back in a different way. Big brother watching you. How long before we see this technology being used to surveil all of our employees? to determine what percentage of their time they're on their phones. Think that that's, <laughs> Praxim says, already happening. That, see? Is that quality of life? Is that quality of work? Is that quality of work life? I don't think so. So not only are we expecting our employees to travel hours to get to work, sticking them in their maze, uh, their cube farms, but we're surveilling them? Is it any wonder that there is no loyalty? So is there a solution? Yeah, there's a solution. The solution is to create a better work experience and a better workplace experience that isn't just about ping pong tables and jeans and sleep pods. It's about being able to be much more efficient with our time. That's why I kind of like the concept. You know, my daughter just started um, work and she goes in three days a week and Monday and Friday she works from, she works from home remotely. But I think we need to take that one, one step further. I think we need to have meeting moratoriums. That's what I think. I don't think it's that... It, it, it shouldn't be that hard to actually fix this. We just need a bit of creativity, and a bit of humanity. Just like this AI technology, how hard would it be to actually um, come into us, you know, to create a system that says, you know, what if people had, for example, meeting credits? You could only, or meeting caps. You can only be in a certain number of meetings per week. Or, you know, flip it. As a manager, you can, only ha- you can only hold a certain number of minutes of meetings or number of meetings per week. Or have your employees or your direct reports, you know, cap at a certain number of 
What would happen then if we had to be much more discerning with our time? You know, when Tim Ferriss talk, spoke about the four-day work week, or, or wait, didn't he write the four-hour work week? It wasn't even the four-day work week. Um, I think he's, he wrote the four-hour work week. Hey, I'm talking about the four, four days or three days. Like, surely we can be a lot more efficient. It's rhetorical. Of course we can. Super efficient. We can do so much. A little bit of creativity, a little bit of innovation, a little bit of technology. I actually think one of the biggest keys to the future of the new workplace and the workforce and productivity is to begin with meetings. You know, it's something that I've... I never felt it as strongly until I started doing EOS because the, because it's a big part of it. I had single, you know, singularly um, been focused on this, um, the commute. Um, Praxim says, hand in hand with IT surveillance is that managers no longer manage people. Um, and then he said, bosses want people back in the offices, but employees are finding a workaround it's called coffee badging. What the hell is coffee badging? Now you're making me work. See? That's what I'm saying. You're entitled, Praxim. I'm joking. Now I don't know what coffee badging is. You're badgering me. You're coffee badgering me. Um, Praxim says, I don't know all that much about EOS, but it's about efficiency and removing the slack out of the system. And I think you might be literally referring to Slack, right? The actual piece of software. All right, so now I have to find out what coffee badging is because you're not telling me what it is. Um, I still don't know what it is. Uh, More than half, 58% of hybrid workers admit to coffee badging or the act of going into the office building for their morning coffee, earning an imaginary badge for it, and then going home to work for the remainder of the day. So they're showing up for a quiet attendance, but they're not sticking around all day. I mean, the fact that this is even a thing just shows you how broken the system is. I mean, this is actually taking us back now to the concept of punching in of a, you know, of a, of a time, what do you call it, a punch clock? What was the, I don't even know what they called it. But actually punching in and, and getting your, your time sheet punched and then, and then punched out again. These days, I just want to punch my boss. <laughs> but is that what it's coming to? And if we're punching in and punching out and you know being surveilled at the office, well, you can be sure that that's going to happen at the, at you know that's good. You know this whole retribution or this you know it's it if it and I'm sure Praxim's going to say it's happening already um, at home. You're working at home, but essentially being proctored, needing to be in front of your laptop at a, for a certain number of time. You know, checking where your where your eyes are. If your eyes are down, i.e., on your phone or on the screen, um, 
software that determines what you're actually doing on your phone. This is not how to create a culture of trust. You know, for me, if I was running the world, and maybe one day I will, just kidding, but I would just, you know, to create a a culture of trust means that everything is based on respect, mutual respect, reciprocity, but also outcome or output-based but really outcome-based, I say output, you know, as you go up the, the seniority um, kind of pecking order that would move um, from, from output to outcome. Uh, Praxim shares Tim, T-E-M-A-S, Tem, Temis Slack, checks to see how active you are, and there's already a workaround called the mouse juggler, the mouse jiggler. Um, So I'm looking at an image in our back chat. By the way, if you are listening to our podcast version, this is why you want to check in at least to discord.gg forward slash alpha collective in our cafe chat or just attend live. But I'm looking at this uh, image that actually shows that there's tracking with a mouse. So, you know, mouse mover, it says, um, I'm looking at one image that says, the pointer may not move. Do not put the mouse sensor in the in the center of the turntable since the pointer may not move. And then there's one that's green um, that says put the mouse sensor anywhere of the turntable other than the center. The pointer moves perfectly. So I guess maybe the mouse jiggler is moving the mouse. I mean, come on. Is this really is this really where we're heading? I don't think so. You know, one of the things that we discussed in the, in the episode with Scott McCain is that you as an employee don't wait for your company and your culture to come to you. You go to your company and your culture. You show personal pride. Take personal pride and responsibility. doesn't matter if everyone else hates their job and is miserable and treats the customer badly, you rise up above it. This is a very interesting flip on the whole concept of why is it that on any given day I can go into a bank, I can go into a McDonald's, you know, I can you know, call the customer service line of an airline and some days I'm just going to get this unbelievable per- person who is just like, oh my God, I wish I could you know, bottle you. I wish I could take you home with me. You're, un- you're, you're incredible. You're amazing. You know, you know, were you a, do you do stand up comedy in your spare time? Um, please, can I write to your boss to say how amazing you are? And then on a, another given day, you've got, you know, people that are like, excuse me, are you talking to me like that? If you talk to me like that again, I'm going to put the phone down on you. I don't need this in my life. Right. And you're like, you know how upset I am. What's going on? You know, I've said to you that this is not you, and I don't mean to take this out on you, but I'm unbelievably upset. And the person is like, please don't raise your voice, don't shout. And so in one company, back-to-back on two different phone calls, you can have someone who is just incredible 
and another person who's an absolute joke. And so the flip on this is the point which is we always talk about the company and we say that's bad training, that's not consistent training. You know, this is, you know, this is not what brands are, blah, blah, blah. This is what all the, you know, the authors and the pundits and thought leaders do. And what Scott is alluding to is, you know what, what about for the worker, from the worker's perspective, if you are that person at the front line, the cashier, you know, the, the porter, the maitre d', whatever the case may be, you, this is you, your life, your self-respect, you've got to stare at yourself in the mirror. Don't wait for the training and the development and, you know, going back to entitlement. You make it happen. You be the best possible version of yourself and that job. Because guess what's going to happen? Actually, nothing may happen. But certainly you can go to bed and you can look at yourself in the mirror and you can be proud of what you see and who you see. You can be. But it also may become a little infectious too. The sneering cashier to your left and the, you know, and the morose cashier to your right, they now see you and, and, and you help them raise their game. That's how you create a different kind of you know, energy virus inside your company. And chances are you might even be recognized for it. You might even be promoted for it, whether that was your intent or not. But I love that flip. See, where we're heading right now, we're dehumanizing ourselves. We're becoming so reliant on technology, the double whammy, the politician that's completely distracted but also the technologies that's calling out the distracted politician. It's a race to the bottom when it should actually be the exact opposite. How do you get to the top? Humanity will will drive you up. Technology will pull you down. But humanity and technology, when used together, unbelievably powerful. This is not, by the way, technology and humans working together. This is technology versus humans. When we're calling out, when the humans are, you know, generally it's the technology kind of keeping the human in check. So just some thoughts, random thoughts on a Monday morning. It's Manifestation Motivation Monday. We are in Discord and Zoom. Zoom is a ghost house at the moment. Zoom Discord was pretty quiet today. But this is how we're going to do it. We are going to pull ourselves back and become less reliant on technology in this form, in this particular case, Clubhouse, for now. We will build this up again. And so if you are listening live today or listening on the podcast version, please remind people that you're used to seeing in the Collective Cafe that this is where we are. Reach out to them. Send them a note, a ping, if you're in email contact with them. Encourage them to come this week. And, as always, try and encourage someone to come as well, someone else. And Praxim, you were a little late uh, today, but... um, just want to let you know that if you go to foreverchanged.life, you will see the website for the book. And the book is actually now 
I have it in hand, as you can see in the cafe chat. Um, the Kindle version is live. The paperback version is live. Um, I'm going to probably take me a few months to even start to talk about the book and promote the book. <laughs> um, so I'm a little behind on that, but I don't care. I just wanted this book to be out. I wanted to honor my mom and do it the right way. And um, the one thing also that I haven't been able to, you know, just find the tech because, yeah, again, everyone just moves so slow, but I'm just going to keep moving fast is uh, I decided, so I'll just share a little bit of alpha with you as we wind down. Um, you will see when you actually go and you click on royalties um, that the royalty in NFTs will be available. I'm going to sell them for $180. 180, 18 equals in, in, in the, uh, you know, where every letter has a number. Uh, 18 equals chai, which is life to life, l'chaim. Um, and so... I'm selling them for $180 and uh, included in that will be five copies of the book. Uh, and the book sells, by the way, for 2020. That was very deliberate as well. Very, I think, pretty creative, right? Because it's all about COVID and 2020. So why not actually charge 2020 for the book? So it's essentially $100 plus whatever shipping would be, um, tax or shipping, for the book, and so there's a small little premium of about $80 on top of that, um, and you now own 0.01%, I think that's right, of 10%. So a 1,000 royalties, a um, 1,000 royalty, you know, I don't know if there'll be an NFT or whatever, but a 1,000 readers, a 1,000 true fans will share in 10% of the royalties of the book. Um, and so I hope you'll both be a part of it, or anyone else listening, um, but it is, you know, cobbled together right now. If I end up replacing it with an actual uh, NFT, I'll go ahead and transfer the NFT and figure out exactly the best way to make it happen. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to keep moving forward, which is plodding with purpose, which is a central theme in the book. I'm walking the talk. I'm loving what I do. I'm being true to myself. I'm staying the course. Um this is my story and I'm sticking with it. So I'll let you guys go a few minutes before nine. Have an amazing Monday. May everything that you manifest come true. Um, may you find the motivation that you desire and that you need. And hopefully the world, um, every day, uh, we have more opportunities to get it right. Sadly, we blow it most of the time. But hopefully tomorrow will be better off than today and today. Um, doesn't look like it will be better off than yesterday, but we can always hope. So see you tomorrow, everyone. Bye. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.